Hey everybody, this is Pastor James and welcome back to our midweek Bible study. I do want to apologize. I know that it's been several weeks since I've recorded one of these. Um, we have been doing them and I have been doing these studies with our Wednesday night group, but my voice has been very sporadic over the past three weeks <clears throat> and I've just now got to the point where I can talk and do all this and still have enough left in the tank to do Sunday mornings as well. And so my voice improved significantly even from yesterday to today. So I'm going to record our next Bible study, which is Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to do the first couple of sections with you guys. And then we'll um, we'll talk about them and, and then we'll move on. And I'll try to get caught up as best as I possibly can. Thank you for being patient with me. Let's uh, read together as we begin Matthew 26, and we're still counting down the days of Jesus' death. It seems like we've been doing that for a while, but there's so much going on and so much that needs to happen before the crucifixion of Christ, and this is one of the reasons why several chapters lead up just to the final days of Jesus' death. So, let's read together verses 1-5, through five, and we'll talk about the plot to kill Jesus, and then we'll move on from there. So it says, When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At that same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the Passover celebration, because they agreed, or the people may rot. Alright, so you know, it's been several weeks since we've discussed how much time has passed uh, in these last few chapters. But from what Jesus just said, it's Tuesday, and so basically in two more days, it's going to be the Passover. And then the day after that, we'll bring about the death of Christ. Uh, so we're basically three days and counting up till the point of Jesus' death. And so there's so much happening during those last couple days. Now... One thing you need to see in this passage is that Jesus is most definitely prophesying about what is coming. He knows what's coming, and he is preparing himself and the disciples for this. This is important because while Jesus was saying these things, guess what was happening at that exact moment? Caiaphas and the other leading priests were gathered talking about how they could secretly kill Jesus. Now, you need to understand this because any time something has to be done in secret, more than likely it is wrong. As these priests were planning in secret and trying to execute their plan in secret, it should be so obvious that it is wrong, but their own desires had already conquered their consciences and the guilt that goes along with their consciences. So they were very set on accomplishing what they wanted rather than doing what was right. And you also have to be careful not to be too hard on the religious leaders because <clears throat> you think about how many times our own desires have conquered our consciences and our convictions and kept us from doing what we knew was right at any given moment in time. And the religious leaders didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, let's kill this guy. I mean, this was three years in the making after they have continuously rejected the message that God's Son came to bring them. And after you reject the word of the Lord for so long, it eventually puts you in a place where you'll about do anything that you want to do. And then you can reject and neglect what God is leading you to do. And so we're just as guilty of that as they are. And so we have to be super careful to not reject Christ or his leading in our life 
but to make sure we're constantly following the will of God in that way so that we don't bring ourselves to that point. But the religious leaders did want to protect the Passover celebration, and basically <clears throat> they also didn't want people to write because they knew um, how this would work out for them if they disturbed the Passover celebration in order to kill Jesus. So that's kind of where we are right now. All right, so this leads us into... Uh, the, the portion of Jesus being anointed at Bethany. So let's read verses 6 through 13 together and we'll talk about it. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. And the disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price. And the money given to the poor. But Jesus was aware of this and he replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Okay, so this is one of the most beautiful depictions of worship that we have in all the Bible. John chapter 12 does give us the name of this woman, identifying her as Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. And you have to understand that this isn't some stranger, but this is someone that is very familiar with Jesus. So it wasn't like this strange, unknown woman. Uh, she was very much a friend of Christ and a friend of the disciples. Now, <clears throat> she has sat at the feet of Jesus. She's listened to him teach. She has buried her brother and witnessed him being raised from the dead and brought forth from the tomb. And she comes to Jesus in this moment with a jar of perfume that is of great wealth. And this is super important to understand because some estimate that it would have been up to a year's wages. And now Mary pours this over Jesus' head and really just bathes him in this perfume. And this would have definitely been an awkward moment for everyone watching because this woman had come to show an extravagant gesture of worship towards the Messiah and no one else even seemed to have done anything for him other than just be in his presence. But the people watching, especially the disciples, are very critical of this gesture of worship and you got to remember this today. The Pharisees and other religious leaders were always critical of Jesus' teaching and people worshiping him, and, and the disciples were too. They were always critical. They always tried to run the kids off from Jesus. They were indignant towards this woman who comes and offers this uh, extravagant gesture of worship. And they rebuked her for wasting money for what could have been used to bless others. And, and while, um, yes, it could have been used for that, Jesus had been teaching them to care for the poor and not to focus on things of this world. So it's very important to understand that all the things that Jesus had been teaching about up to this point would shy away from doing things like this. But this is a huge revelation about worshiping our Lord that we really need to take to heart and consider as we approach Him in worship. This woman did exactly what she was supposed to do. No one else understood it. No one else was a part of it, but she did exactly what she knew she was supposed to do, and Jesus knew exactly what she was doing, and he was okay with it because 
a lot of times when we talk about worship, we're, we're so focused on this organized thing that, that people aren't distracted and people aren't, um, you know, taken back by stuff. And so people can feel comfortable and all that stuff. Well, worship wasn't necessarily meant to be that. Worship is meant to cost us something. It's meant to be extravagant. It's meant to be pouring ourselves out even to the point of sacrificing a year's wages to do something extravagant for the one that we worship. And if you remember, the disciples still have not got it through their thick heads that Jesus is not going to be with them three days from now. They have only been listening to half of what Jesus has been saying. So don't let yourself only get half the message in this. Half of the Word of God Half of what God has for you, it's very important that we get the whole thing and keep ourselves open to being willing to do anything in the name of Jesus to glorify His name and make Him great. No one else matters when it comes to your calling to do this. And when you do what you're supposed to do, yes, others may criticize you, but in the midst of that, Jesus will be your defender. And He defends this woman. He definitely defended this woman. Why criticize her for doing this good thing to me? You will always have the poor to minister to, but you won't always have me. I'm leaving. Don't you remember? Have I not said it a hundred times already? And I keep on saying it. I'm going to be put to death, but don't fear because I will be raised from the dead. But you need to know that this is coming. And Jesus has been communicating that message over and over and over again. And this woman seems to be the only one who is aware of what Jesus is saying. And she's helping him prepare for all of this by anointing his body for burial to do this according to God's will. And Jesus exalts her because she's willing to do this great gesture, this extravagant gesture of worship. And he tells them that this will be preached. Every time the good news is preached throughout the world, this deed is going to be remembered and discussed. And Jesus is allowing her to partake in his glory and honor because she did what she was led to do and did not neglect her calling out of fear for what others would think. That is huge in our relationship with Christ. That's huge as we represent Christ in the world. We cannot be afraid or cower down in fear at what other people will think when it comes to worshiping our Lord and Savior. And maybe some of us today just need to be aware of that and be a little more obedient to what Jesus is leading us to do at any given moment in time and to be less worried about what others are going to think about us or what others may say or anything like that because there is one among them <clears throat> that is not worried about what others are thinking and that's this woman. The 12 men who should have been doing this all along were the ones who were critical. And so don't limit yourself or box yourself into what you think worship should be or what you should or should not do, but allow God to lead you in that and be willing to be extravagant in your worship of Him, all right? Well, let's read this last section and we'll end today. Let's read verses 14 through 16 and we'll read about Judas agreeing to betray Jesus. So, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him thirty pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Alright, so it's at this moment that Judas goes to set a price and work out a plan to betray the Messiah. 
Now, once again, you got to be careful not just to think that Judas was caught up in this moment by what he saw. It wasn't like this woman was the only thing that pushed him over the edge to do this. Judas had been wandering from the truth for quite some time. Judas was actually in charge of the disciples' finances, and he had regularly been stealing from them. And we see that recorded in John chapter 12, verse 6. Judas seemed to be very concerned with money as he stole money regularly. And the Gospel of John reveals him to be the main one saying this was a waste, and he was the most critical of this act of worship that we just read about before. And so Judas immediately goes and betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which was not a whole lot of money. I mean, silver today is worth a whole lot, but back then, 30 pieces of silver would not have been a great sum. It is said by some uh, historians that 30 pieces of silver was about the set price for one of the lowest slaves that you could purchase. So you could basically buy... A, uh, a a cheap slave would be about 30 pieces of silver. So in this moment, Judas is placing a value on Jesus as far as what how valuable Jesus is to him. So Judas obviously is not sold that Jesus is the Messiah or that Jesus has much value, and Judas is very much willing to let him go for a very cheap price. And so he doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah, He's not been bought into Jesus' teaching this entire time. And his decision to betray Jesus for such a low amount (coughs) reveals his attitude towards Jesus um, over the long haul. But Mary's gesture for her reveals how much she thinks Jesus is worth. And, And for the next two days, Judas is going to look for an opportunity to hand Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver, while Mary... His gesture revealed Jesus' worth to her by giving him an entire year's wages. And so that's significantly more worth than the 30 pieces of silver that Judas betrays Jesus for. And Judas didn't waste any time. You know, it says on, on this night or this day he went to discuss the price. And literally in two days he's going to betray Jesus. So he doesn't waste any time. But as soon as the Passover was over... Um, That same night, Judas goes and leads the religious leaders right to Jesus with a kiss. And so I guess as we finish up today, my question for you is, how much do you think Jesus is worth? Um, How much money is he worth to you? How much time is he worth to you? How much effort is he worth? How much sacrifice is he worth? How much suffering is he worth? And in all honesty, we all have to make that decision. Um, no matter how much you try to avoid it or deny it or uh, skirt around that, all those questions must be asked for you and your everyday decisions are already answering those things whether you realize it or not. If we're all honest, I would say that we have betrayed Jesus at times for much less than Judas's price of 30 pieces of silver. We've forsaken our faith and forsaken our love for Christ for a lot less in some cases, for a lot shorter of a time, for a lot um, meaningless things. And um, I think if we were honest that most of us had never given a year's worth of anything to Jesus, but with every action, 
Every choice and everything that we do, we will always communicate how much Jesus is worth to us, whether we realize it or not. And today, my hope and prayer is that you are communicating that Jesus is worth more to you than anything else in this life because he should be. If you are not living, if you don't believe that, Jesus should be worth more than anything in your life. If you're not communicating that, you should be communicating that Jesus is worth more than anything else in this life because Jesus gave up everything for you and he expects us to do the same for him. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together today to worship you and to bow down, to pray and to read your word. God, I ask that you would speak into our hearts. Lord, give us the desire and the love for you to show the world how valuable you truly are to us. And Lord, to place you at more valuable than anything else in this life. We love you. We thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. Hope to see you on campus this weekend. If not, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcasts. Praying for you guys. We'll catch you next time.